Good morning. It is so good to be here together today on the Lord's Day. We are thankful for your presence. We do have some visitors, and we want you to feel welcome here at the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. If you're visiting, my name is Don Blackwell. I'm the pulpit minister here. I've been here about a year and a half with my family, and we love Cookville. We love the church here, and if you're looking for a church home, we would like to recommend to you this congregation. If you have any questions about the sermon today, please feel free to talk to me. Or if you would like to have a Bible study, please let me know and we will work that out as well. The slippery slide of pride. We're going to talk today about the subject of pride. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There is a story told about two ducks and a frog who lived together in a pond on a farm. And the story says they were best of friends. And the three of them would amuse themselves together and they would play in the water hole. And when the hot summer came, however, the pond began to dry up and it was soon evident that they were going to have to move. And so for the ducks, this wasn't a problem. They would just fly to another pond but the frog was stuck. And so the frog came up with an idea. He said to the ducks, how about this? Each of you will take hold of a stick and you will put it in your bill and I will hang on to the stick and we can fly to another location. And they said, but uh, you don't have hands really. How will you hold on? And he said, well, I'll just hold on with my mouth. And they said, well, you won't be able to say anything because you would fall. And he said, well, I don't have anything to say. Just fly me to the next location and we'll be okay. Well, they decided this would work. So the plan worked so well that as they were flying off, the farmer looked up in admiration and he said, well, isn't that a clever idea? I wonder who thought of it. And the frog said, I did. (laughs) Well... Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, you might say, what does that have to do with anything? Sometimes our pride makes us want to get credit. Sometimes our pride wants us to be able to say, I'm the one who did it. Look at me. Well, what was the frog's problem? Maybe he had too much pride. You know, someone has said pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the one who has it. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible says, These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. We have described here for us in Proverbs chapter 6, Seven things that the Bible says are an abomination to the Lord. An abomination means he abhors these things. He despises these things. Things that are repulsive to God. And the list begins in verse number 16 with a proud look. Now, what's meant by that? What is a proud look? One commentator gives this meaning. He says, exalted eyes those who will not condescend to look upon the rest of mankind. What does that mean? He's stuck up. He's haughty. He won't even look at the people around him. And it's not just the look, but it's the attitude behind the look. We're talking about pride. We're talking about 
arrogance. We're talking about people who are full of themselves. This morning, we're going to talk about pride. Now, our first point today is the definition of pride. The dictionary defines pride this way, an over-high opinion of oneself, exaggerated self-esteem or conceit. Definition number two says haughtiness or arrogance. Some of the synonyms that it lists are vanity, conceit, self-satisfaction, or vain glory. But I want to make one point of clarification when we're discussing the definition of pride, and that is the word pride can be used in two senses. Number one, there is pride in the sense of self-respect. Every person should have this type of pride, personal dignity. This type of pride is fine. Now, why do I say that? Because none of us should be walking around saying, well, I'm a nobody. I'm not worth anything. Each of us needs to recognize the fact that we do have value. How do I know that? The verse on the screen here is Proverbs, or Matthew 22, 39. Jesus said that we all have value. We should recognize our self-value. He states that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is a certain love and self-respect that we should have towards self. That's not the type of pride that we're considering today. We're talking about pride in the second sense, and that is what the dictionary says, an over-high opinion of oneself, exaggerated self-esteem or conceit. And so there's a type of pride that's, that's fine, that is self-respect, and there's a type of pride that is not good to have. One man put it this way. He said, let us make sure that the type of pride we have is the kind that keeps the chin up and not the nose. I think that's pretty well said. Keep your chin up. Have self-respect, but not the kind that keeps your nose in the air. All right, let's talk about some different forms of pride. Pride can exist in many different forms, or maybe I should say that it can reveal itself in many different ways. You know, when we think about someone who is proud or arrogant, we might typically think of a person who walks around with his nose stuck up in the air and he thinks he's better than everybody else. And certainly that's an inappropriate type of pride, but pride can reveal itself in a lot of other ways than just that. And so let's talk about some of them this morning. Number one, I want to suggest to you that there is such a thing as intellectual pride or arrogance. Now, what is intellectual pride? Well, a man or a woman might see themselves as more intelligent than other people. They might think, well, I'm smarter than those around me. I'm more educated. I've got more degrees. And because of that, they exalt themselves in their own mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. What's he talking about there? In the city of Corinth, there was a struggle amongst Christians whether they should eat food that had been offered to idols. And the answer was, it didn't really matter. An idol is nothing, is what Paul says. Some people understood this. Some people had an appropriate knowledge about this. Other people were still struggling with this. The problem was... Those who had the knowledge and those who understood it were puffed up. 
They thought they were superior because of their knowledge. It was an intellectual pride, and Paul condemns them for it. Now, intellectual pride could come in several forms. There could be secular knowledge that causes some people to exalt themselves above others. It could be, as was the case in Corinth, spiritual knowledge or biblical knowledge could be a stumbling block. You know, there could be a preacher or an elder or some very knowledgeable Christian who might find himself exalting himself above, above other brethren because of his real or, or even supposed knowledge gap. Intellectual pride is what causes a person to look down his nose at other people and think of them as unlearned and uh, illiterate. Intellectual pride is what might cause a person to look at his parents and call them out-of-date ignoramuses. This type of pride might make it hard for a man to admit when he's wrong. This is the type of pride that makes it difficult to say, I'm sorry. But then, a second type of pride is financial pride. A man might think of himself as better than other people because he has money. Now, we don't have to stretch our imaginations to imagine this type of pride. This is the type of pride that might make a person strut around in his expensive suit, show off his high-priced, flashy car. He wants to make sure that everybody knows he's made it and he's got a lot of money. You know, I heard about a salesman who closed several hundred deals using this line. He said, let me show you something that several of your neighbors said that you can't afford. And they said, oh, yeah, and he closed the deal. Next, there could be physical pride. That is, a man or a woman might have pride based upon their physical appearance, their physical ability. A person might exalt themselves because they think they are so much better looking than others. Maybe a man thinks he's so much stronger, he's got bigger muscles, and that generally he is a physical specimen that few can parallel. I heard about a young lady who went into the preacher, and she said, I'd like to come in and talk to you about a sin that I'm battling. And so the preacher agreed. And so the day came, and the, the lady showed up, and she said, Preacher, I have become aware of a sin in my life, and I just can't control it. I have become aware, she said, every time I come to services and I look around at the other women, I realize that I am the prettiest woman in the whole congregation. She said, none of the others can compare to my beauty. What do I do about this sin? And the preacher looked at her for a moment and he said, sister, that's not a sin, that's just a mistake. <laughs> well, sometimes our pride is misplaced. But then there is such a thing as national pride. Now, there is nothing wrong with the person being thankful for the rich blessings that we have as Americans or whatever your country. But you know, an individual could get to the point that he feels above other people because they're not from his country. I think we see a lot of this in the Bible because the Jews would look down their nose at other people and they would think of them, if you're not a Jew, you're a dog. Now, of course, their pride is based on nationality and religion and ancestry, but they viewed others who weren't of their nationality as less than them. Next, there could be racial pride. Now, we see a lot of this in our country today. We don't have to stretch our minds. Some people feel superior to others because of their race. 
Although Adolf Hitler apparently thought it to be, there is no superior race or superior races. And then there could be social pride. Social pride is where a person has a superior feeling to other people because of his social class. I picked this little picture to go here because you've got people that pull up in their limousine and they've got their aristocratic upbringing and a prestigious job and their class in life and they roll out the red carpet to them and they think they are somebody and everyone clamors to them. And then there is even such a thing as religious pride. I think this is the type of pride you see in Luke chapter 18. The Bible says, beginning in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. And the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, extortioners or unjust or adulterers or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's just bragging on himself in his prayer. He's proud of his, relig his religiousness. And then the Bible says, but the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but he smote his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. In verse 14, Christ said, I tell you, this man, that is the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. The man who exalted himself, he was so proud of how good he was and how religious he was. The Lord said, he's going to be abased. That is, he's going to be humbled. Another good example of religious pride is in Mark chapter 12, 38 and 39. In that reading, Jesus spoke to the common people and he said this, Beware of the scribes who come to you in long clothing. They love the salutations in the marketplace and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at the feast. That is, they love when people would say, Rabbi! And they would wear, wear these robes so that people would exalt them and call them reverend and say things to put them above the rest of the people. They like the chief seats and the places of honor. You know, positions of authority and leadership can be stumbling blocks for some people. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6 in the qualifications of elders, one of the qualifications of an elder is that he not be a novice. That means a recent convert. He can't be new in the faith. Now, why is that? The Bible says, lest he be lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of, a Bible, uh, of the devil. That is, you've got a person who's just recently become a Christian and you've made him an elder already? Pride might get the best of this person because of that. You know, in the church, each one of us needs to guard ourselves against thinking that we're superior to other people because of our tremendous spirituality, my magnificent leadership ability. We need to be careful that we don't turn into diatrophies. You know, you read about him in 2 John verses 9 and 10. He's described as the elder, the, the man in the church who loves to have the preeminence. See, you can have religious pride. That's wrong. All right, let's talk about the deceptive nature of pride. Pride 
deceives a person into believing that he is something more than he really is. The book of Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, and it tells the story of the Edomites. The Edomites were descendants of Esau. And the book of Obadiah talks about the coming destruction that's coming upon the Edomites. God is going to destroy them. The problem was they didn't believe it. They didn't think they could be defeated. And the reason was they had a natural terrain. They were up in the mountains, and they felt like no one could get to them. They were protected. They thought they were untouchable. The Edomites took confidence in the natural terrain because it was a fortress. They said the enemy cannot overrun us. But in Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 3, the Lord said, The pride of your heart has deceived you. Brethren, keep that in your mind. Pride can deceive you. He said, you who dwell in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is on high, you say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? That is, you're up in this high place and you think, no one can defeat me. Who can defeat me? And what the Lord said is, you will be defeated. Brethren, a lot of times we get caught up in our own wisdom and we think we are invincible. We think we are something else. And the Lord said, that's pride talking. Here's the next one. The destructive nature of pride. Again, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Truly, pride is a destructive force. Now, in what ways? I want you to think about a few of them with me. First, notice here, I've got a list. Pride destroys relationships. I can only imagine how many friendships have been destroyed because of pride. You know, neither party is willing to say, I'm wrong. Neither party is willing to say, I'm sorry. Pride leads to stubbornness. In 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died. They were hurled into the icy waters, and they died. When the disaster was over and they did an investigation to find out why they crashed, it revealed something shocking. It wasn't a technology problem, like a, a radar malfunction. It didn't have to do with the thick fog. It had to do with human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence, and they knew that they were coming toward each other, but both captains were too stubborn to steer clear of the other. Have you ever played chicken? Don't play chicken. When I was a kid, I used to play chicken in the car. Don't ever do that. It's foolish. These two men, these captains of the ship, they were coming toward each other, and they were both so stubborn they wouldn't move out of the way of the other, and when they finally realized that it was too late, it was too late, and they crashed into each other. The accident was because of their pride. There is no doubt many marriages have been torn, about, torn apart by pride. Every husband and every wife knows that it can be difficult to say, I'm wrong. Because sometimes you've got to swallow your pride. And for some people, that's a lot to swallow. Friendships, marriages, families have all suffered at the cruel hand of pride. But you know, not only can pride destroy relationships, pride does a lot of damage. I've, I've got congregations up here. What I mean is the Lord's church. Sometimes the church is hurt numerically because of pride. 
Sometimes somebody will have something said to them and they get their pride hurt and they leave the church, they leave the congregation. I know a situation from years ago. There was a man in the church and another brother said something to him, kind of making fun of his name, but, but just in a, a friendly, joking kind of way. And that man got so mad about that, he didn't come back to church for two years. What was the point? He got his pride hurt and he let it hurt him spiritually. Rather, much of the turmoil that has gone on in the church over the years, I don't mean here, but I mean the church in general, is because of people's pride. In fact, I am convinced that pride is largely to blame for many of the splits in the brotherhood. Now, sometimes people will say, well, it was doctrinal. Sometimes it is doctrinal, and if you have to take a stand for doctrine, that's okay. But many times, it's because of people's pride it gets in the way. And sometimes, because of pride, they can't admit it's pride, so they have to come up with some other reason. Sometimes pride keeps people from repenting. Pride keeps the work from being, und from being undone. Sometimes people won't do work in the Lord's church because of their pride, because they say, well, that's beneath me. They think, I'm too valuable to clean the baptistry. I'm not going to do that. I'm not cleaning the auditorium. That's, that's beneath me. Brethren, why do you think that Jesus in John chapter 13 got down on his knees and washed feet? Wasn't he teaching us that we need to get beyond our pride and be a servant and humble ourselves? Next, we can see that pride can destroy the heart. Now, what do we mean by that? Pride can cause a person to get revenge. Can't you hear some people saying, well, who do they think they are treating me that way? I'll show them. You know what, the, what motivates a person to revenge? Oftentimes, it is pride. Now, pride can also lead to several things. Pride leads to rebellion. That is, another man says, well, I could do that job better than he can. I think I'm going to be the boss. Why does he say that? Because of his pride? Pride can lead to hell. Some people lose their souls because of pride. Now you say, how? How does pride lead to hell? First, pride can stop a person of repenting of their sins. You know, I can't imagine the number of members of the Lord's church who sit in the pew week after week and they will not repent of public sin that they need to repent of because they're proud. That is, I'm not going to get up and say I was wrong. You know, it takes a humble person to say, I have sinned, and to say it publicly. It takes a true sign of humility, and you've got to admire a person who will lay aside his pride and submit to the Word of God. You know, I've got a friend, and he says that a person who won't obey the gospel is the most arrogant, proud person that exists. And why does he say that? Because some people won't become Christians because of their pride. Maybe it's because things have to be my way. I did it my way. I'm not going to submit to the Lord. Sometimes it's a person who can't bring himself to admit that he's wrong. Maybe he's been this religion and he's struggled with a person of this religion. He can't bring himself to submit. You know, Psalm chapter 10 and verse 40 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in any of his thoughts. Ponder that for a minute. The pride of his countenance makes him not seek after God. 
Because of his pride, he won't seek God? That's exactly right. How does the Lord feel about pride? Proverbs chapter 6, we just noticed, pride is an abomination to the Lord. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, there's a catalog of very heinous evils, and in that list is pride. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Proverbs 18 and verse 22 says, before honor, there's humility. If you want honor with God and man, it's going to start with humility. John 13 and verse 14, Jesus said, If I then, being your Lord and Master, the most exalted individual who ever lived, if I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Let's talk about dealing with pride. What if you say, I got this problem. You know, I, I think a lot of myself. I struggle with overcoming things because of pride. How do I overcome this? Number one, I want to suggest that you come to view pride the way that God views pride. What is that? Is Proverbs 6 and verse 16. He hates it. I've got to learn to hate it. Once I learn to hate it, then I'm going to overcome it. Because when I see it in my life, I'm not going to want it there. Secondly, I need to work on developing Bible love. Now, what do I mean by that and why do I say that? 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 says, Love does not envy. Love does not vaunt itself, the King James says. It's not puffed up. What does it mean, love does not vaunt, vaunt itself? It means it doesn't show off. What's it mean it's not puffed up? It doesn't think too highly of itself. And so love doesn't put itself out there and say, hey, look at me, I'm somebody. Love is against pride. Number three, if you want to overcome pride, we need to instill in our minds the knowledge that we are dependent upon God and we are only human beings. How do we develop dependence on God? By Bible study? By prayer? Next, if you want to overcome pride, avoid thinking of yourself too highly. And so when you get to thinking that you are really something, don't think that way. Catch that. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, For I say to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Step number five, if you want to deal with pride, remember the promise of God. We need to re remember what the Lord said. James chapter 4 and verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Number six, to overcome pride, remember the words of Jesus Matthew 18, 3 and 4, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted, that is, changed in your mind, in your heart, and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same shall be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great in the sight of God, be humble, have humility, have the heart of a child. Number seven, if you want to deal with pride, follow the example of Jesus. He says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Pride says to, pride says to itself, my will be done. Humility says to God, thy will be done. On a visit to the Beethoven Museum, there was a young student 
who became fascinated with the piano that Beethoven used to compose some of his greatest works. And so this young student asked the museum guard, she said, can I play a few bars on that piano? And she offered him a very lavish tip. And so the guard agreed. The girl sat down at the piano and she played the opening to the Moonlight Sonata. As she was leaving, she said to the guard, I suppose all of the great pianists who come in here want to play on that piano, huh? The guard shook his head and he gave the name of one of the greatest pianists of his day. And he said, he came in here a few years ago, but he said he wasn't even worthy to touch it. This morning, I need to understand that pride can cost me my soul. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This morning, won't you humble yourselves in the sight of God? Be obedient to the gospel. That is the first way I need to humble my heart. Submit to the will of God. I do that by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized for the remission of my sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a member of the Lord's church. Maybe you have sin in your life and you need to humble yourself this morning and say publicly, I've got sin that I need to repent of and let us pray on your behalf. This morning, if you need to obey the gospel, we're ready to assist you. If we can pray for you, we would be honored to do that. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.